thing. Up there did a good job. All right. All right. Robbie, you're still having a hard time finding your seat, aren't you? You know, I was, uh, as we were singing, as we were singing, I, I, you know, I, I'm paying attention, but I'm kind of thinking, man, you know, I picked on my friend. And then I realized I'm going on a bear hunting trip with him this year. I hope his stand isn't going to be near mine. And I better not wear any black furry coat or anything like that. <clears throat> but he's a good sport, so thank you. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's one provided under one of the chairs in front of you. You can look on with a neighbor, but we are going to look at a lot of scriptures today. Very important. And if you need a study sheet, the ushers are in the aisle way. Just uh, raise your hand. You've got to get their attention. Don't be shy. Really, it doesn't matter. You're in good company here. It's all good. Just raise your hand, and they'll bring you a study sheet, and that will help you today uh, immensely. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, what we do here, uh, I mean, we, there's some exceptions, but what we generally do is take a book of the Bible, and then we begin to work systematically through that book, and then God gets to be in the driver's seat. He gets to bring up whatever subject is next. Uh, we start from the beginning and work to the end, and uh, you know, that's what we're doing. We preached through First uh, Timothy uh, last year, and this year, uh, you know, we started last year with Second Timothy, and we'll finish uh, late spring uh, this year. So uh, we're in a study of Second Timothy. We've made our way through chapter 1, through chapter 2, and today we're going to park on verse, verse 15. The title of today's message is Approved Unto God, and I think that that is something we all desire. Would you agree with that? Do you want to be approved unto God? I certainly do. Our text is 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, and a little short intro today. In today's text, we will examine unique, unique and valuable final instructions given by the Apostle Paul to the young pastor and missionary, our man Timothy. Now, these truths might have been written to a young pastor, and it's called a pastoral epistle, but don't, uh, don't think that doesn't include you, because these truths are for every believer and can change the way you think and act as a Christian if they're adopted and applied. So I'm going to go ahead and read our verse today, if you'll follow along. Verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I'm so thankful for this very unique verse in the Bible. It's really the only verse you put in the Bible that specifically tells us what to do with the Bible. And many have tried to change these words, and in doing so, they've made shipwreck the faith of many. And so, Lord, I have to say some things today that, frankly, I'm... I'm somewhat uncomfortable with to share it in a group of people at church. 
but I am the preacher, and you've called me to preach this, and I will today. But I don't want to do it in the power of my own uh, knowledge or wisdom, but uh, Lord, I, I need your Holy Spirit to direct things today. And so we pray for the lost today, that they would be saved. We pray that for believers that may be believers hearing this, Father. This will be the first time they've ever considered these things. But I pray there'd be a spirit of graciousness in our midst, and especially with me, how I present things today. And I pray to the end that you'd be glorified, you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And So we ask that your Holy Spirit would bless the reading and study of your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's begin by simply reading and dividing the text. I just read it. I'm going to read it again. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You can see the commas separating the the sentence. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So overall, this verse has great great key points. I mean, it is just fantastic how this thing breaks down. I I love it. Uh, The very first word in the verse tells us exactly what to do with the Bible. And so we are to what? Study the Bible. Now, study is the correct rendering here. Now, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, uh, so I'll inform you. No, no, none, nada, ought, zero. No other English version says study. None. The word has been removed and replaced in order to change the meaning of the verse. Because when you change that word, you change the entire meaning of the verse. See, study is the correct rendering. It does not mean be diligent to show yourself approved unto God because that changes the intent of the instructions and places the emphasis on you, the reader, instead of the Word of God, which is what, the script, what this verse is all about. It means exactly what it says, to study. The word shows up only three times in the entire Bible. And each time, you know what it means? Study. It's the setting of your mind uh, or, or your thoughts on any number of particular subject or subject matter in order to better understand that subject or subject matter. Being approved unto God is the result of studying the Bible, not the object, which leads us to why we must study the Bible. And this verse lists two reasons why, and they are similar. One folds into the other. Why we must study the Bible? Well, it's a simple verse. It says, to be approved, approved unto God. That is the greatest achievement of mankind. That's the greatest achievement that you as a Christian uh, could accomplish. The greatest is to be approved unto God, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. What could be better than that than to have his approval on your life? And I desire for God to approve what I believe and do. Do you? Uh, Really? Do you desire to have God approve of what you believe, what you think, and then consequently what you do? 
Amen? So we're to be approved unto God. We, it's why we study the Bible. And not only that, but to not be ashamed before God. Now, I have no desire whatsoever to be ashamed of what I do today with the short time I have on planet Earth. How about you? I have no desire to be ashamed of what I do today as a Christian because of what I believe. I have no desire to stand before the Lord one day at the judgment seat of Christ and be ashamed of what I've believed and then what I've done or what I've acted upon based on what I believe as a Christian. And it is possible for that to happen. If you study the Scriptures about the judgment seat of Christ, which is only for believers, it's not the great white throne judgment where the lost will be judged, but for believers uh, in this age, at this time, uh, it is possible to be ashamed. You can read the verses. They're very simple and easy to understand. You see, what you believe will dictate how you act and how you behave. What you, no, 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 what you really believe. What you really, you can say what you believe, but what you really believe will dictate how you act and how you behave in this world, the choices that you make. You see, we all make decisions based on why. Why? And this is the reason or the why we study the Bible, to be approved unto God, to not be ashamed before God. And that leads us to the next point in the verse, how we must study the Bible. Boy, doesn't this break out real simple? Huh? You, if you wrote that out and stopped at the punctuation and started a new line, man, you got a message right here. So I had an easy week. <laughs> no, don't think that. I didn't. But that leads us to this next point, and that's how we must study the Bible. And we're to study the Bible by rightly dividing the word of truth. And when it says the word of truth, that's the completed revelation of Scripture. That includes all 66 books of the Bible. Now, this is really important, so dial in, dial in. This is really important. The Apostle Paul, by trade, by trade, was what? A tent maker. Now, he was a Pharisee and, and all that went with that, no doubt, but then he got saved. And so as he's traveling around on his missionary journeys, he's got to earn some money. Not everybody recognized his apostleship, and uh, so donations uh, might have been uh, uh, nil in some locations. And uh, he wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But uh, he was a tent maker, so he would do this work on the side to make extra money tent maker. And tents were real important back then at that time in history because people were mobile and moving around and they needed a place to conduct their business out of. They needed a place to sleep, a place to protect them from the weather. Paul was a tent maker, very important uh, uh, object at that time in history, a tent. Now think about this. So he knew the importance of cutting fabric and then sewing and fitting that fabric together. I mean, you just don't, you know, poof, make a tent. It's, it's all pieces that need to be sewn and put together. 
And if the sectional cuts were flawed in just the slightest way, just the slightest way, the entire tent as a finished product, when finally fitted together, would be defective and then henceforth scrap. And you've just wasted all your time and money and material. And so you don't want to do that, especially when you're on a tight budget. Or even if you're not, you've got to be very, very careful. Uh, Jeremy, you are a machinist by trade. And uh, I can, uh, you, you could share with us, if you were to come up here, you could talk about uh, all the different parts and the things that you make. You're quite a craftsman. I've been in your shop. I've seen what you do. And, man, you're good at what you do. But I know one thing your boss, your company, he hates, and that's scrap. Isn't that the truth? You've got to get that just right, don't you? Because that piece is going to fit into another piece, and it's got to be just exactly right. Now, don't miss this. That's true, right? Paul knew something about this. And are there any seamstresses here? That seems to be a lost trade. Did any seamstresses? Raise your hand. Okay. We got Shelly. Okay. We got Sandy. All right, we got Kay. All right, we got Megan. All right, ladies, you know, come on up here. No, don't. <laughs> no, you know something about this, don't you? You understand if those cuts are made wrong and you go to sew everything together, well, you're like, well, that isn't going to work for me or for whoever you're making that for, right? This is very important how these things are cut, how they're divided, how the cloth is divided, because it's got to fit together in a bigger hole. So no matter how accurate you are, there'd be some patterns that would be, or there'd be some problems. And even with the pattern, uh, he, he would have a template or a pattern to follow, which is what seamstresses generally have. You have templates. And, and, and imagine if these patterns were somehow flawed. Uh, maybe they got messed up or, or torn or whatever. Those patterns needed to be followed exactly as the, uh, as the cloth was cut or divided. But on the other hand, if those patterns were off slightly or damaged in any way as to change their shape, and you followed it perfectly, if you followed the cuts around that pattern perfectly, but the pattern, if the pattern was wrong, then it still doesn't fit together. It's a mess you see, rightly dividing was something that Paul knew a whole lot about. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, God already helped us in his preservation process as he preserved his word for us. Because it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always in this, uh, in this fashion or in this manner in a book like you have it. Now, think about this. He gave us some divisions so we could be more efficient at making more right divisions. You see, your Bible is divided into two main parts. You've got the Old Testament, and you've got the New Testament, right? So that's a division. Uh, 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 then it's divided into books. The Old Testament has 39 books, and the New Testament has 27 books. Those are divisions, are they not? Right? And then uh, those books are divided into chapters, totaling 1,189 chapters in your Bible. 
That's 1,189 other additional divisions that's in your Bible. Oh, but it doesn't, doesn't stop there. Then those chapters are divided into verses, and there's 31,173 verses in your Bible. So there's 31,173 additional divisions that you find from beginning to end. Then those verses are, are, are divided by a variety of punctuation marks, and paragraph markers, which, you know, for me are innumerable. I got no numbers for those. But if you'd like to count them, please let me know. But then after those paragraph markers or after those, all those punctuation marks, then they're divided into each individual word, and there's 782,133 words in your Bible. 782,133 words in your Bible. That's amazing, isn't it? See, your Bible is a book of divisions, and these mentioned divisions, the, one I just, the ones I just shared with you, they help us find what God has to say, help us find very easily where we're located. We can go to these things very quickly, very efficiently, and we can see very very quickly, uh, the people that God's talking to and, and the time in which he's talking to them in. I mean, and it goes, it goes on and on. And, and locating things is crucial, as I've just described, but it's much bigger than that. Oh, it's much bigger than that. Because of its divine divisions and already provided divisions, as I've just explained, now we can locate common words and phrases, and we can find similar issues and, and compare them with others. We, we now have the ability because of these uh, preserved, uh, how God's preserved His Word with all these divisions, these awesome divisions, now we can, we can pull things out and compare them with another. We can do, like there's three words in the Bible, uh, three times the word studies found in your Bible. And we can pull those out and we can read those and learn about it. I mean, there's uh, so many things. Phrases are repeated through the Bible. Uh, again, similar issues. H how many of you had, have a center column reference in your Bible? Okay, if you look at that, it shows you comparative texts. Now, maybe some of you have it at the end of a verse uh, in your Bible. It Dep depends on the publisher uh, that you have, but you have these uh, comparative scriptures. So if you're reading a verse, uh, you, might, uh, you might be able to look over like this one. Let's see here. Okay, I don't have any. It doesn't, doesn't show me any for verse 15. But in verse 16, it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so there's a cross-reference to 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 20. And so in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, it says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. That's in 1 Timothy. He gave me a cross-reference here. It's easy to find because of all these divisions that God gave us. We can further separate and divide things from one another to study those things and see how they fit together. I mean, think about the simple outline of our text today. What? Why? How? And we'll get to it, but the attitude and posture needed when you study. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> 
I think so. See, your Bible is a book of divisions, and these divisions are there for a reason, so we can rightly divide it deeper and deeper for proper understanding so we can find and understand what the Bible says. Praise God for that. The term rightly dividing, if you look at it at the end of verse 15, the term rightly dividing indicates something. It indicates that it can be wrongly divided because he says rightly dividing. He didn't say uh, that needeth not to be ashamed dividing the word of truth. No, he said rightly dividing, which indicates that it could be wrongly divided. Listen, God did not write and preserve each individual word so that he could stump you and trick you or give you a puzzle that could never be complete. (laughs) Try to figure that out. Listen, I remember being intimidated when I first read the Bible and thinking, man, how could I ever understand all this? Anybody else felt that way? Well, listen, I'm here to tell you today that God did not write and preserve the Bible. Listen, God did not write and preserve the Bible to hide truth, but rather to reveal truth to you. That's the business that he's in. He so wants to communicate to people, yeah, but he so wants to communicate to you, to each and every one of us. He wants to communicate to every man, woman, boy, and girl on planet Earth, and he has a great heart for that. And he put all these beautiful words and bound them together for us and preserved them in a book with all these divisions that we have today that they didn't have back then. And now we can study his word properly and make even more deeper divisions to help us understand it because he cares about you. He he cares about what you do and what you think. He wants you to understand the Bible. You can understand what the Bible says. But in order to do that, we have to have the right attitude and posture while studying, and that's found in verse 15. That of a workman. A workman. And as we've already been instructed concerning the making of disciples, you're in chapter 2 and in verse 15, a workman. Go back uh, to verse 2. He says, and and this is the same uh, uh, context, it's a context in chapter 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He explains that. Verse 5, if a man also strive for masteries, and yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. That's a champion athlete. And the husbandman, verse 6, that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. That is a fruitful farmer. So we got a good soldier, we've got a champion athlete, and we've got a a, a hardworking, fruitful farmer. Well, to be, all, be those three things, you know what you got to do? Work, study, practice, study. Thank you. And we all need to be like that. A good soldier, a champion athlete, a fruitful farmer, 
all of whom are hard workers or workmen. And it takes work to rightly divide the Scriptures for proper understanding. Sadly, and this is just the truth. You know, I can't help it. It's just the truth. Look, look, it's my business. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Bible preacher. I, I pay attention to these things, although if we're together, I'm not analyzing you or your life or anything like that. I promise I'm not. But, uh, but there are times when due diligence is required on my part, and I pay attention to churches and to things that are happening in our field and beyond. I have to. I have no choice. And sadly, what I notice is that the world is filled with lazy Christians that won't put forth the effort to study. And yet, they'll complain about believers that do in this way. They complain and deride believers that know what the Bible says and are confident in what they believe. They don't like that. They get angry over it. And sadly, based on the Bible... They're not approved unto God and will be shamed in either this world or the next or both. Now, I have a heart and your pastors have a heart and your leaders and deacons have a heart for that not to happen to anybody. No one. We don't want that to happen to anyone. We're not going, we know what the Bible says. Man, listen, if I knew everything that the Bible said, if I understood everything, I'd be God. I'm not. I know very little but I know more than most people. And, and, and most people are just lazy. They'll just say, well, I don't believe that. And yet they couldn't give you if their life depended on a reason opposing that view or why it's true or why it's not. Not if their life depended on it. And so based on these texts, based on this Scripture, they're not approved unto God and will be shamed in either this world or the next, or both. So think about that, and don't, don't let them distract you, or maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're openly one of them. Maybe you're subtly one of them. Why? Why, we got a book. People always ask me, how do you know which church is the true church? There's, there's churches on every street corner and places that say they're a church, and they believe completely opposite things. And so how do you know which is true? And I'm like, you know, that's really not difficult to answer. It's not. What? What's the answer? I got a book, and I can judge that. And you say, well, well, that's just your opinion. No, I have a book that I can diligently open and take time to study and say that isn't in there. And now I've got a choice to make, not to buy into that, but to buy into this. I can't help it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means it can be done. I just read it. I just quoted it. So somebody's doing it. Well, they're doing it too. Well, apparently not. Apparently not. There's some crazy things being taught out there that don't make any sense whatsoever. Well, you think you're the only ones that are right. I don't think that at all. I think we're right, and I think we can prove it. Well, I don't think we can prove it. Okay, is everybody, well, you know, I know we're wrong, but we're just having fun. 
They would say the same thing. They would say the same thing. Well, you're wrong and we're right. And so there's only one way to settle it. Only one. It's not about, it's not subjective. It's objective. There'd be only one way to settle the issue. Any number of a thousand issues, there'd be only one way to settle that, and that's to open up the Bible and see what it says. And that's the truth. And that brings us to the next point. Fulfilling these points in the text. You see, any believer, any believer can understand the Bible. Isn't that good news? Listen, good news. Any believer can understand the Bible. My friends, praise God, the Bible is an open book. It's not difficult to understand. Oh, listen, there are some things hard to comprehend. Uh, Peter wrote that about Paul's. We're not going to show that, that scripture. Uh, we just don't have time this morning. But uh, if you want to make notes, is there a note there, Second Peter? Is that down there? Second Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter said, boy, there's some things Paul wrote that are hard to understand. But people have taken those things, and then they've twisted them, arrested them out of, their, out of what he meant to their own destruction. There are some things that are hard to understand. Duh, I get it. I make a living doing that. <laughs> a calling to try to unravel some of those difficult things. And boy, Paul did. Romans, Hebrews. <laughs> huh? But it's, overall, it's not that... Is, is, look at verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is, is that hard to understand what he just said? And the way I've broken it down, is that hard to comprehend? Listen, anyone can get a working knowledge of the Bible, I'm on your study sheet, if they're willing to do the work. Now, now hold your place here in 2 Timothy and turn to Revelation 2, because you've got to be careful of something. You've got to be careful of something. Now look in chapter 2, and we, in chapters 2 and 3, uh, the Apostle John, while he was in exile on the island of Patmos, he wrote this book, incredible capstone ending to the Bible. Without revelation, we're, we're completely lost. Here we have the end of all things, and it's incredible. And in chapter 2 and 3, he writes seven letters to seven churches. And here, if you look in verse 1, he's writing uh, uh, to the church at Ephesus, under the angel of the church at Ephesus. So there's two epistles written to the Ephesians. One is Ephesians, and the other one is here. And he works his way down. I'm not going to spend time doing that. But look what he says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, Ephesians, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Your candlestick? Uh, what's a candlestick? Uh, okay, okay, class. What purpose does a candlestick provide? Huh? Light. I'm going to remove the light from you. Your ability to shine light is going to be removed if you don't repent. Okay. It, that's not difficult. And up 
in verse 20 tells you all these, Revelation's got all these symbols. In it. You know, it's really not that difficult to understand the book. I mean, I get it. You got to get in there. But he almost done everything. He tells you what it is. Now look at verse 6. But this thou hast. So he condemns them on a bunch of stupid stuff they're doing. In verse 6, he's going he's gonna to commend them. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Oh. So the Ephesian church was a good church, and they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I want to know what they are. Uh, look over in verse 12. And under the angel of the church of Pergamos, right? So now he's writing to the church in Pergamos. And he, he gets on their case and works them. Uh, and and he, he's condemning them about some problems they have. In verse 15 he says, So hast thou also them in your church that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Twice Jesus said that. John is, is, write, is, is writing down and, and taking dictation on things Jesus is telling him to write down. And to Ephesus and Pergamos, he brings up these Nicolaitans, and Jesus himself says, you know, I hate that. I, I hate that doctrine. I hate those deeds. He didn't say he hated the people. He said he hated the deeds, and he hates the doctrine. What is Nicolaitans? Well, it is a, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess what you would call a transliteration. There is no English word for it, so it's the Greek word. Now, this was originally written in Greek. It'd be kind of like, um, like the word uh, uh, tortilla. You know, what's a tortilla in English? Tortilla. Right? It's just transliterated. The same word in Spanish is brought over in English, and we all get it. And we got thousands of words like that in our, in our English language that we don't even think about, but they're, they're words from another language, and we just use it. Okay, well, this is one of those words. Okay, now check it out. I wrote on your study sheet, Nico, it means to conquer, and Laetans means laity. It's the conqueror of the common man. It's the conqueror, the Lord, over the common people. In other words, it's a priest class that tells people, we only know the Bible, and you can't understand what, that, what it means without us. That's exactly what these guys were at this time in history. It's teachers that lord over their students as if they can't understand you. You have to have me to explain it. Well, I got news for you. I'd like to think I'm helpful around here. Okay, we got one person that said that. <laughs> Robbie, am I helpful around here? All right, thank you. But honestly, you can understand the Bible. You need a preacher, of course. But you can understand the Bible, folks. I learned the Bible from stuff you guys tell me. Listen, uh, uh, it's arrogant pastors, arrogant teachers, uh, they think they, they're the only authority. That's a Nicolaitan. 
Oh, and there are lots of them out there. Oh, my, 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 are there lots of them. And check this out, the next point. The main reason why most Christians have no logical understanding of how to study the Bible and this doctrine of the Nicolaitans can kick in in that kind of an environment where people don't know how to study the Bible. That's why we teach these things continuously. And you're learning. Just today, you're learning how to outline a verse because you just saw me take one verse and outline it. Some are a little more difficult, like uh, the last text that we were in in 2 Timothy, a little more difficult. It was difficult, but it's there. And I hope I did a decent job on it, but I guess I'll find out (laughs) in eternity. But the reason that this doctrine can exist, the reason that it didn't, the the Ephesians, uh, uh, they hated those deeds and they dealt with those people. And and here in Pergamos, uh, these people were taken over with their doctrine of lording over common people with the Word of God. The reason that can take place is because most Christians have no logical understanding of how to study the Bible. That's the reason. Their pastors and leaders... Oh, wait, let me read this. I didn't... I got to read this right. The main reason most Christians have no logical understanding of how to study the Bible is... Are you ready? Their pastors and leaders do not understand how to study the Bible. Look, I pay attention to such matters in great detail. They teach what they read in a book or commentary, heard from a podcast or recording, none of which is wrong to do. But if that's where they get what they believe, watched on YouTube or following their peer groups, if that's where they they get their truth from, then they're just going to follow in line and fall under this whole issue. And listen, you can say whatever you want. I don't care. Uh, This is my business. Uh, This is 100% true. I know what I'm talking about. I pay very close attention to things like this going on in our world, wherever I go, and and locally, whatever. I see this rampantly everywhere. All I have to do, I figured it out over the years, all I have to do is ask about two or three questions to somebody, and I know they don't know anything about the Bible or God. That sounds very arrogant, doesn't it? No, I know how to study the Bible. I've learned how to do it. That doesn't mean that I'm the only one. It doesn't mean that, that, boy, I know something you don't. No, I don't feel that way at all. Not at all. I actually feel like the biggest chump in the room. I mean it. I really do. And who cares about that issue anyways? That's evil as we just read. Jesus hates that kind of an attitude. I don't have it. But I got a Bible and I believe it. I love meeting like-minded pastors and believers because you can't really have a decent biblical conversation if that's the conversation you're having with most people. Oh, they may know about the Bible, but they really don't know or understand the Bible. And here's why, and this is what you need to get, because they don't know how to study the Bible. That's our text today, and that is the subject that we're talking about. That's why I'm talking about this. Listen, this is why our country is declining and in the problems that it's in. This is the reason. You can blame it on whoever's in charge, but I'm just telling you, the reason that this is happening, the reason the population is completely alienated from the words of God, just like in the time of Judges, 
you know, in those days, we're going to talk about keywords and phrases in the weeks ahead. In those days, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Or in those days, there was no king in Israel, no king sitting on the throne, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Excuse me. I didn't know I was going to quote that. And that's the time we live in. The population is completely alienated from the words of God because pastors and so-called Bible teachers are biblically ignorant. False doctrines and deception, human reasoning, and modern entrepreneurial business practices have replaced, in churches, have replaced the Word of God. It's absolutely true. Well, you shouldn't talk that way. You guys pick on other people in other churches. No, we don't. This book does. And that is the truth. Do you, do you want to be approved unto God at the judgment seat of Christ? Do you want to not be ashamed in this world or the next? Then you better get a book and study it. And that's the truth. Now let's talk about basic principles of learning and understanding the Bible. These are just basic principles. Man, we're going to blow all this up in the next probably three or four weeks and have a lot of fun doing it. You learn by following rule number one. Now, you're going to hear us talk about rules of Bible study and this rule and that rule and this rule, and we'll talk about all that in the weeks ahead. And again, we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. But when we use rule number one, it's more like a title. Rule number one. The number one rule. And what is, what is it, Aaron? What's rule number one? Believe the book. Believe the book. In other words, do you accept and receive what it says, exactly how it says it, and are you willing to act upon it? You learn by following rule number one, believe the book. We'll talk about that more in the future. You learn as the Holy Spirit teaches and guides you. Uh, turn over to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. I want you to see these. I, I know for many of you this is going to be very familiar, but it's a blessing to look at it again and again and again and again and again. John chapter 14. And if you look with me in verse 16, the Gospel of John 14, verse 16. Uh, verse 15 says, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Boy, you really need to know what his commandments are, huh? <laughs> Verse 16, and I will pray. Now, this is, he's talking to his disciples uh, before he went to the cross and before Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost came upon them. So, so in this, at this time in history, he's speaking of him yet to come uh, uh, to indwell them uh, permanently. And, and so understand that. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, Jesus is speaking, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you for how long? forever. See, he's at this time after his death and resurrection and the, when the Holy Spirit came, we're different than the people in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit could come in someone or, or, or be on someone, but it was only temporary. Well, not now. It's forever now. Once you get saved, he moves inside of you and indwells you permanently. Praise the Lord. Permanently. Even the Spirit of truth. Well, that's our study today is about the word of truth. Well, you know why they're similar because capital S, spirit, because he's the one that inspired the authors to write. So he is the author of truth. 
the word of truth, and he's called the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, and they're lost, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Hmm. Look over in verse 26. But the Comforter, now watch, which is the Holy Ghost, oh, okay, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall, what? Teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Very interesting. Look over in chapter 16. And look with me in verse, let's see here, 13. And by the way, here he's explaining the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He starts uh, way back in verse 7. And I love this verse. And every one of you in here should have verse 12 memorized. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Did you ever have something that, man, you're just, you just can't figure out from God? I think every hand would go up. There's just something. And you've studied and you've worked hard, and, and you heard a preacher explain it, and you're like, he, I still don't get it. And maybe he doesn't either. <laughs> I know I explain things, and people come up afterwards and then tell me what I said, and I'm like enlightened. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, man. Uh, we're all in this together, Amen. But you know, when you have things like that, I remember this verse. I think about this verse, I wouldn't say daily, but pretty close. When, I, when there's something that I don't get, I just remember, I have yet many things to say to you, unto you, Tom, but you can't bear them now. Okay, Lord. And I don't have to worry about it. He'll show me when I'm ready. Because it's not just about intellectualism. It's not about that. It's not at all. Verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. He's our guide. He leads us and guides us into truth. You learn as the Holy Spirit teaches and guides you. You will only learn the Bible as you submit to the guidance and instruction of the Holy Spirit with your whole heart, trusting the book that He preserved for you in your language. He reveals truth to you as you believe what the Bible says by faith. That's how it happens. You learn by avoiding the hazards of Bible study. We'll talk more about these in the future. Uh, number one threat, the search for hidden meanings. That's uh, uh, when Bible teachers or preachers or even yourself, you'll allegorize Scripture. In other words, you randomly symbolize anything you read. You know, you're sitting around in a group. What do you think that means? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Now, that's certainly a fair question to ask if we're talking about how does that apply to you in your life right now. That's a fair enough question. But when we're talking about the definition of what's being said, what does that mean to you? Well, I think... That that, that that house or that river or that lamb or that, that, that I think that that's, that's like my, like my mother-in-law. 
you know, whatever. Listen, we're laughing, but this happens all the time in Bible studies where people, sadly, are pooling their ignorance together. And they have no idea what, what God's saying. It happens. It happens. Threat number two, it's a refusal to see beyond the literal, historic, and grammatic meaning. And we're going to see some of this next week. That's actually the subject next week. They avoid types and similitudes. And here's one, here's one. They avoid it. They don't believe that. And so here's what they'll miss. When they're reading along, if you're reading along in a King James Bible uh, in the New Testament, the word Joshua never appears, never. And yet Joshua is talked about at least twice that I can think of and named by name. Well, I thought you said Joshua's not in the New Testament. It's not. Because Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. We just talked about this. Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. Then when they translated it to Greek, it's Jesus. And then when they translated it into English, which is what you got, it's Jesus. And the King James translators were honest, and they didn't monkey with the words. And so when it came to write that out, they translated it just the way it was, literally, and it's Jesus. And you're reading it, and you're like, this isn't Jesus. This is Joshua. There's an error in your Bible, and so modern versions correct that for you and have helped you tremendously in doing so. Not because that's a key. You don't need to know what I just said. You don't need to know anything about how these words translate. Now you know that's Joshua. And you get the goosey goosebumps, and your hair's raised up in the back of your neck, and you're like, there's a huge book in the Old Testament called Joshua or Jesus. It's got 24 chapters, and it's about a captain of, a, a, of God's people, the captain of a host of God's people, and he leads them into the promised land to establish kingdom. Now I've got extreme details about the second coming of Jesus Christ and, and exactly where he's going to come from and exactly who he's going to be dealing with and who he's going to be fighting and how he's going to take over the land of Israel by force from the Antichrist. And there are many Antichrists, the Bible says. And there were many of them in Joshua, the son of Nun's time. Well, you miss out on that. You miss that. It's a refusal to believe those things and to see beyond the literal, historic, and grammatic meaning. Focusing solely on history and devotion and avoiding doctrine and preaching the Bible. I have people say this to me. They'll come in here and they'll, you know, if, if they've got any guts at all, they'll say this to me. Uh, and it doesn't happen that often, but it has happened. Well, you know, what you do is not preaching. You're, it's more teaching. It's not preaching. You're not a, you're not a preacher, and now you might think that's offensive, but I actually get calm, and I like people talking to me that way. I do. I'm like, huh, I got somebody being honest about it. Now I might have to look at where their weight is on which foot so they don't, you know, they're not going to pop me in the face. <laughs> but at least I know about that too. <laughs> but I just tell them you're right because I'm not a preacher. And I'm not a teacher. I'm not. I'm a Bible preacher and a Bible teacher. 
There is a difference. There's a difference. And number three, a personal desire to be the authority. Pastors and teachers, and we just read about that with Nicolaitans, they tend to lord over those they teach. And listen, church, uh, I'm not the boss here. This is the boss. This is not a tool we use. If there is such a thing as a tool here, we are the tool. This is the boss. Amen? You know, male and female teachers, it doesn't matter what your gender is, they can become the authority and not the Scriptures, and that's just terrible. You learn by receiving God's purpose of Scripture, and we don't really have time to deal with this this morning. Uh, We're going to come to this, but he says to Timothy, if you go back to 2 Timothy, uh, and you look in chapter 3, uh, he says uh, in verse 15 that, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. From, the chi- from a child, Timothy, you've, you, you've known the Holy Scriptures. His mom and his grandma were believers, and they taught it to him. The Holy Scriptures, you've known them. Well, let me assure you of something. Timothy had no out there in the Lystra and Derby area out of town where he lived with his grandma and his mom and his dad. Listen, let me just tell you, they didn't have an original copy of anything. Or not, I'm sorry, excuse me. They didn't have the original manuscripts of anything. Trust me. And yet, the copy that he was reading is called the Holy Scriptures. And, and so, a copy of the originals is also considered inspired by God because it goes on to, to talk about all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, Timothy. Uh, that means the Holy Scriptures that you learned since you were a little boy. Those are inspired by God, Timothy. And by knowing the four profitable purposes of Scripture found in that passage, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, and knowing God's overall objective for Scripture in each believer, and that's to thoroughly or throughly is the word in your King James Bible, furnished unto all good works. Well, you learn by receiving God's purpose of Scripture. We'll preach that when we get to it. And here's one that's very controversial. You learn by studying the correct English Bible. Now, we have a lot of new people here. So please have an open mind and listen to what I'm saying. I teach a one-year-long class in our Bible Institute at a college-level class. It includes a history of the Bible, manuscript evidence, all of that stuff. And we work through the Bible And so what we're going to look at right now, the things I'm going to say right now are very rudimentary, but they're very important. But don't think that I'm I'm just don't know what I'm talking about. We dive into this very deeply. And anybody that's been in our Bible Institute and through that class, can you say amen to that? All right, so please hear me when I say this. Other modern Bible versions contain... The Word and words of God. They do. You can get saved. You can grow and mature with other modern Bible versions. Now, that's going to tick some of you off in here that are members. It's true. Come on, folks. We got people in here right now. They might not even uh, be reading out of a King James Bible and they'd be very faithful Christians. However, there comes a point when due diligence is required because when you start comparing what all these different Bibles say, 
they're not only, they don't only word things differently, but they say opposing things just like today's example is. That's why I'm talking about this subject. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm giving an ex- exposition of this verse in the word study. So that happens. They, they're differing and opposing things. And so which one is true? You see, the other versions remove keywords and phrases, leaving you with no roadmap to follow. So you can't trace the words and phrases because they, they, they take them away and mix them up. So all the signs are gone. How'd you like to drive down the highway with no signs? Well, I guess with your phone. You... Okay, how'd you like to drive down the highway with no signs and no phone or no garment or no help? You know, when you get to that old burnout stump, turn right. Well, what if it's pouring down rain and dark at night? Good luck. The signs are gone. You're left with, here's what you're left with, the ideals and the concepts of God, but you know what you miss? The very words, and that's really important. When I gave instructions to my kids, I wanted them to follow the instructions. You know, Sam come in, or Rach come in, and they're like, did you do that? Yeah. I look out, no. (laughs) Well, kinda. (laughs) Kinda is incomplete. Are you getting the point? It matters. There comes a point when due diligence is required. Other versions remove this. Other versions uh, follow dead-end roads, having you rely upon Greek and Hebrew lexicons, uh, both languages of which that you don't know anything about. And even people today that are uh, scholars in Greek, nobody's spoken that particular form of Koine Greek in over over 1,600 years. So what does that mean? Do we need to do the exercise that I did a long time ago with Aaron? My Aaron, please stand up. My Aaron, you're look, please turn around. My Aaron, you're looking gay today. Now, if I said that to Aaron a hundred years ago, uh, yeah, 100 years ago, maybe 110 years ago. That means that he's dressed sharp. He's looking good from his shoes, the, his hair, and everything in between. Man, you're looking snappy. You're looking gay today, Aaron. You can have a seat. And with that color shirt on today, Aaron, <laughs> you're also looking gay today. <laughs> No, here's my point. I'm not picking on gays. I'm not. You know, you might think I am. I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying the meaning of words change over time. And so you've got to be careful with that. Well, isn't this old English words? Yeah, that's why you've got to be careful. Oh, that's good. But you don't go to Greek and Hebrew lexicons making the teacher the authority, Nicolaitans, and not the Scriptures. Is the King James Bible harder to read? Yes, at first until you're exercised with new words that are out, currently outside of your vocabulary. And there's about 60 of them. But after you get those down, man, it's a lot better. I kid you not, it makes you smarter. 
Is it harder to comprehend? Yes, at first. So you have to take your time and focus on every word and even write stuff out. Oh, that's a bad thing. No, that's a great thing. Study. Does it take longer because of all the details? Yes. You know what it takes? Work. Oh. A workman. There you have it. You have to work harder. See, the beauty of the King James Bible is that it compels you to study it. You must. In the other versions, you don't have to because it reads like the newspaper. Is that, does anybody read the newspaper? The newspaper's online, isn't it, Christina? Sorry, she works for the newspaper. <laughs> it's online. Okay, whatever. You know what I mean, right? I'm 63, so I'm still looking at newspapers. It compels you to study. The King James Bible is unequal in its beauty and literary precision. And because of this, you don't realize this, it's much easier to memorize than any other version because of that. Because of its, its prose and, and how it comes together and how it works. Its underlying Old Testament manuscripts are t- traced back to the ancient Hebrews, their patriarchs and scribes, for sure. None of the other ones are. Its underlying New Testament manuscripts are traced back to Antioch, Syria, where they were first called Christians. That's good. Not Alexandria, Egypt. That's bad. Egypt, bad. Every other English version, every single one of them, bar none, including the New King James Version, use manuscripts that trace back to to Alexandria, Egypt. Terrible places with corrupt texts. See, Another thing is, it's not popular to use the King James Bible or to believe it. It's not popular. In Christianity, boy, that's not popular at all. Try to read some good book. There's good books out there, and they they don't use the King James Version. Go ahead and try to do it. It's not popular in modern Christianity. Well, listen, considering the condition of modern Christianity, that's an excellent thing. I don't really want to be following them anyways. Think about it. Use your head. God was always in the business of preservation. It's, it's what he said. From a child thou hast learned the Holy Scriptures, he said to Timothy. It's always been a copy of 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 a copy. And he's been in a supernatural process of preserving his words for you. Because he said he would preserve his words forever. So they got to be somewhere. And that's found over and over and over in the Bible. And when you hear it, I know this is so simple, but when you hear the King James Bible, you know it's the Bible. You know it is. You're not confused. Uh, I remember going in, uh, into a bookstore. This has probably been about 15 to 20 years ago. And they, they had a list, a big giant poster on the wall. They had a list of all the Bible versions, the modern Bible versions that they sold a list of them. And then they had a a, a scripture. Uh, I I believe if I remember right, it was at the top. No, no, it was individual scriptures. They'd have a scripture, and then they'd have it listed out, and then they had the King James, what the King James Bible said. 
showing you how much easier their version of the Bible was to understand than the King James. And then the next version, it showed you what it said in a different verse, and then it showed you what the King James Bible said, proving to you that it too is a lot easier to understand than the King James Bible. And they went on and on and on, and I kid you not, it was a list of about 12 English versions of the Bible that they sold, maybe eight. And every one of them, they compared it to the King James Bible. I wonder what they considered as the standard. You think, oh, that's just silly. Oh, is it? That's modern marketers who get paid a lot of money. You know what? The Bible's still the best-selling book in the whole world. And you know what? If you can come up with a, with a popular modern version, you make bank, man, bank. You know what all that's about? It's not trying to help you understand the Bible. You've got a Bible at 400-plus years old. You know what it's about? Money. You remember when Israel uh, uh, turned over the right to the Philistines to make their weapons? It's a sword. Uh, read that debacle. A lot of these publishing companies are run by lost people, uh, conglomerations of lost Jewish people, lost people. And listen, God's voice should sound different. If you heard God's voice, it wouldn't sound like mine or somebody else. Wouldn't it be like, okay, we're going to hear that someday. Even when Jesus spoke, they're like, wow. They were amazed. He speaks different. He speaks like one with authority and not like everybody else, not like the scribes. Yeah, because God's voice sounds different. Well, I can't wait to hear his audible voice, but you know what? I got a lot of what God said, and I can, and so I guess it's not the same tone or emphasis, but when you read the Bible out loud, that is God's voice, and you can tell. It sounds different, doesn't it? It has a built-in mechanism to keep you faithful to obey our text today. Think about it, because you're compelled. Now, think, this is crazy, and we're going to finish up here soon. But because you're compelled to study it, because it's not, it's the king's English, and where the word of the king is, there's power. Didn't you say that today? A new one on my list here. So because you're compelled to study it, because it's more, a little bit more difficult, actually, it's really not. It actually is more helpful. Since we don't think and speak or write this way, let's say that, you know what you have? You have more intimacy, more intimate contact with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I'm not talking about reading it and understanding it intellectually, but I think everybody in here could agree. At some point or another, you've read the Bible and it's not that you understood it intellectually, and you can do that anytime, but something happened where it spoke to your heart. How many of you, you read it, and you're, maybe you're by yourself, or maybe you're hearing a teacher, or a Bible preacher, and you're like, wow, I get that. And then you make application in your own life. Have you, don't raise your hand, but have you had that happen to you? That's what I'm talking about. You've just had an intimate encounter with the living God. That's really valuable. Because you need His Spirit to reveal truth to you. When He does, you've just experienced an intimate encounter with Him. And because of the way this is written, you'll have more of those. 
Listen, we don't make it a requirement for membership here because we know it takes time to process this issue. It takes time to consider these things. Oh, it's in our doctrinal statement. You can't, dis- you can't join and disagree with it. But if you're like, I'm not sure about that, but I'm willing to learn, that's all we care about. And you could join. And if you ever come to the place, and it happens from time to time, I just can't buy into that. And we're like, it's okay. We're not mad at you. And you just find a place where you can fellowship. See, the issue is not really the King James Bible. Oh, all roads, all roads will ultimately lead back to it for English-speaking people. It must because of the facts. But here's the issue. Do you have a Bible that you can read and trust and believe every single word that's contained in its pages? That is the issue. You don't need some side note saying, this was not found in the earlier manuscripts. You know, what does that mean? All that, I'll tell you what it really means. It means you can't count on what it says. Well, if I can't believe this, what about that? Maybe that's not true. Maybe that isn't accurate. And it, it destroys your confidence in the Word of God. Hey, listen, this is, um, this is a, a, a caustic statement. But I could get food out of a dumpster, and I could. Lots of people do these days but I'd rather get it out of a kitchen. I remember uh, when I worked at home, when we first started our church, I'd take my kids, Rachel and Samuel, when they were little. Valerie was a little bit older. I'd take my kids to the bus stop in the morning. Linda would, but I would do that a lot. And we're sitting down at the, standing down at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come, and of course, they were just little. And, of course, all the mothers are there. I'm the only guy. And Sam is standing over in the storm drain, and he says, Dad, look! And I come over, and lo and behold, there is a $10 bill laying down there. Now, a dollar, hmm, well, it's only a dollar. But a $10 bill, Sam, I promise. And I lowered Sam down into that sewer. (laughs) Much to the chagrin of the mothers. Well, that isn't right. And I just paid no attention, lowered the boy down. Got it, boy? Got it. Come on up. Dusted him off, then dusted the bill off and tucked it neatly into my billfold. You can get money out of a sewer, but that doesn't make it a bank. And you think about that. And I assure you, especially our guests, that we are not mad at you about this issue. We're not. And we will not trouble you over it. If somebody here troubles you over this issue, I mean, gives you a hard time, you tell me about it. That makes me me mad at them, not you. This issue takes time to process. Uh, you know, or anything that the Bible says for that matter. If you have a disagreement or you don't like it, we're not mad at you about it. Don't be mad at us. Let's sit down and talk. We'll work it out. That's what needs to happen. And if you can't deal with that, then you don't fit. That's why there's a lot of churches. 
You can find a place where you, where you do. And I'm not saying that because I want you to leave. I actually don't because I know you need this. You need this book. So you have to decide what you're going to believe. I'm simply presenting you with facts and some things to think about. But I will say this. We are unashamed on this issue and value each and every word of our precious King James Bible here. It's superior in every way to every and any other Bible on earth. I was down just recently in Mexico, and my dear friends are translating for me. Is uh, Eric, is Eric in here? Where's Eric? Eric, your daddy, dad, was translating for me. Actually, it was your uncle who was translating for him, but your dad chimed in from the front row. That sounds like your dad, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and they said, that, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That word isn't in our Bible. It, it's totally different. It was the word sanctified. It showed up twice. And they goes, it says fix in ours. And they were, and your dad and your, bro, your uh, uncle were going back and forth, and I'm just sitting there as the preacher just <laughs> watching them. And then your grandpa, of course, chimed in said, just shut up and let him keep going. Because <laughs> we're probably more alike than anybody there in the group, me and your grandpa, sadly. Or no, that's a benefit if Phil's watching. <laughs> I love you. But when that would happen, and that's not an insult to their Spanish Bible, but when that would happen, the King James Bible had the far superior rendering. And it's the truth. And we'd have great conversations about that afterwards. We're not ashamed of that. It's superior to any other Bible. All right, the last point is you learn by following the basic rules and proven biblical methods of Bible study. That's called hermeneutics in Bible colleges and circles of higher education. And I'll explain all that next week, why that word is used, why they call it the study of the Bible is hermeneutics. How to study the Bible is called hermeneutics. We don't use that term, but we want you to be familiar with it. And this is why we recommend wide margin Bibles here, so you have a place to mark your verses and words and, and to write important notes, so your Bible becomes very, very valuable, more valuable to you because you've invested more time in it. Now, concerning today's text, and we're done, we're going to have fun because we're going to stop right here and we're going a little mini-series, and I promise you, you're going to have fun. I promise. Uh, you're going to be blessed in the weeks ahead because I'm going to teach some very valuable, proven biblical methods of Bible study that I am told of far exceed any Bible college hermeneutics class. And these are basic methods that I know for sure for 100% sure, are going to help you incredibly to understand the Bible because that's my job, and that's the Holy Spirit's job, and I'm his employee <laughs> in that matter. These exciting factors are what called me into the ministry many years ago, and I'm going to share them with you because here's the bottom line. You can know. You you can know what the Bible says. You can understand what the Bible says. Would you bow your heads?